This is Rowan Radio. Connors with the game winner! 89.7 WGLS-FM, Glassboro. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports, featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. And now, here's your host, Aaron Hook. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM, RowanRadio.com, Channel 2, here live on this Monday evening, December the 11th, 5.06 p.m., here in Glassboro, Aaron Hook, alongside Aiden Ray, shortly to be joined by Connor McAndrew. Aiden, um, there are a couple big football stories we have to get to from yesterday's slate of games, particularly in the evening part of the um of the window uh yesterday and a pretty big baseball story to get to as well. We're gonna recap the uh in season tournament a little bit as well. So there's a lot that has been going on in the world of sports after kind of that dead period with baseball. The stove is definitely hot again and we'll get to that but um Coming in on this Monday, I mean, you know, yesterday you have the big, big game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys for the right to the top seed in the NFC, the number one team in the NFC East. The Eagles were defending both of those positions that they had held for quite some time, and the Cowboys with a big win in Jerry World yesterday, Aiden, um, and really kind of giving Eagles fans and the perception around the Eagles now more of a negative tone after they've gotten kind of blown out in back-to-back weeks. Dallas wins it 33-13. to And uh, you have some confessions about this about this game, Aiden, as a, uh, as a Giants fan and, and kind of your rooting interest yesterday. I agree. It was hard to see who I was going to root for yesterday. But, like, to be honest, like, what I wanted from this game, especially same thing as the other Eagles-Cowboys game, I wanted like a close game because like I wanted an exciting matchup. And of course, last night it was all Cowboys. Cowboys um jumped out, of, jumped with the lead first, and they never looked back. Dak Prescott was again playing great football, just like he has the last like two months. And of course, he was able to find his target, Ceedee Lamb, seventy-one yards and a touchdown, and Jake Ferguson who is also playing great as well. So, I Cowboys are looking for, are looking great to be honest, but also I know that and then the Eagles, they have not won at Jerry World as you mentioned AT&T Stadium since 2017, so it's def it was definitely a rough game. And even before this game, I predicted the Cowboys to win just because I feel like they would beat the Eagles once and they were able to go in on Sunday Night Football and get the job done against the Eagles. Also, though, Cowboys still have a little bit of a rough stretch coming up compared to the Eagles where they have an easier stretch. But knowing the Cowboys, who have scored like over 30 points in most of their games this season, they can get the job done as well because they play Buffalo next, who just beat the Chiefs, the Dolphins, the Lions, and the Commanders. Like 
they they can definitely they definitely have a chance to potentially win those all out, but anything can happen in the NFL. And then the Eagles, since they have two against the Giants coming up and the Cardinals, and but before that they play the Seahawks. So honestly, um, this was a pretty good pretty good game last night, and we were able to um, watch two NFC East rivals go at it. And but yeah, that's all I have to say. Coming from New York Giants fan, it kind of feels like. That old school Cowboys Eagles rivalry is perhaps starting to come back to life and starting to gain some traction again with the current state of these two franchises now both at ten and three on the year. Dak Prescott, his seventh straight game with multiple passing touchdowns. Um and I think with the win, he really now has kind of catapulted himself into a position to be the MVP favorite. As well, I think it's him and Brock Purdy at this point, um, which is just a crazy statement to say, but um, here we are. And, um, you know, 24 of 39 last night. Um, Dallas did a great job, you know, playing complimentary football. The defense um, was very, very good as well. And, you know, Jalen Hurts um, comes out uh, at the end of this game, and the Eagles for the second straight week. Um, Aiden just kind of again start off slow we've talked about their first halves and the offense not giving them a position to you know go out and come out of the locker room and and be in the game down 24 to 6 at halftime they were just gonna have to dip themselves out of a hole and, and it just never happened that is true and also like this was not like the Eagles that we've seen in like the last like year as well because they were not like trailing big going into halftime like that so it was definitely a sight when we were not seeing for a while but of course Jalen Hurts only had a buck 97 um for 18 for 27 so this was not this was not the best we would see from this Eagles team this year and also like we were seeing some mistakes from like the whole team it still wasn't just like obviously Jalen Hurts is not the guy to just blame it all because like these last two weeks there's it was also the defense as well because they allowed 42 to the Niners and then 33 to Dallas. So I see some like critic. I see a lot of criticism on like the coordinators on Sean Desai, the defensive coordinator, and Brian Johnson, the offensive coordinator. So Eagles, they they need to figure it out for um, Monday Night Football next week against the Seahawks. And remember, you know, everyone at the end of last year was criticizing the defense and they ran Jonathan Dannon out of the building and. Now you bring in Sean Desai, and on the other side, like you said, uh, Brian Johnson in place of Shane Steichen, and both sides of the ball are just not as efficient as they were last year. Um, And again, defensively, the Eagles allowing 24 points in that first half, but also um, having to play, you know, from behind after you give up 24 um, in, in the first half and can only score six, and it's just when you look at these this recent stretch for the Eagles and you know now the talk is that they've kind of ran the gauntlet or you know they've gotten through it at least um, with these back-to-back losses now um, and you know Seattle with the Giants twice and the Cardinals in there you figure the Eagles are probably seeking to take three out of those four and end up as a 13-win team but I mean again Dallas now moves into a tougher part of their schedule to end the year with Buffalo, who we'll get into in a minute, um, and their thrilling victory last night. And 
Then they've got Miami and the Lions who have been struggling and then Washington to finish it off. So Dallas with kind of a mixed bag of a schedule, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how both of these teams kind of wrap up uh, the regular season, Connor. And it's really interesting to see. It's really interesting to see um, what the remaining schedule is holding out for the Eagles and the fact that, um, you know, there's three games left on the season. They're coming off of two really bad losses. I assume that at least the offensive coordinator is going to be fired, but we could see the defensive coordinator fired as well. Um, still have a tough matchup against the Seahawks coming up, which is probably their last tough game of the season and having a pretty favorable schedule the rest of the way. I feel like they could still come out really strong to end the NFC and to finish as a top, I would say, two or three seed. Um, but it all comes down because the Niners and the Cowboys still have really tough schedules ahead of themselves. The Cowboys still have Dow- or uh, Miami, excuse me, and then also have the Niners to play. Yeah, it's, again, you know, Dallas, I, I think, with the win, and, and they had gotten blown out by San Francisco earlier in the year as well. And this game with the Eagles coming off the loss to the Niners also, it was like, okay, you know, both teams kind of have a common loss now, and, you know, all three of these teams are kind of in the mix for being the top dog in the NFC in, in, in the eyes of the fans. And, you know, for Dallas to continue the success that they've had and, and look like this against the Eagles and not to have wavered and not to have kind of blown this one like they potentially did up in Philadelphia, uh, you know, a few weeks back uh, when they had a chance to win that game. I, I, I think... I think it's pretty safe to say that. I mean, right now the Cowboys are definitely the better football team. It, You know, the Eagles, again, I think with their schedule coming up, they have a good chance to finish the year strong. However, I mean, in the playoffs, at some point you're going to run into either most likely San Francisco or Dallas. And, you know, for the Eagles, I, I think right now they're not better than, than either of those teams. And it's, again, with some of the stuff that, you know, has happened, um, bringing in Shaft Leonard, bringing in Kevin Byard, the additions that they've tried to make. Where do you think, Connor, kind of the deficiency is from last year to this year with the Eagles? I think the issue was um, we thought Byard was going to be better than what we expected. And I said this in an episode with Third and Long. Um, I thought Kevin Byard is still going to be dominant. I know he was going to show, like, some issues early on, but he's continuing to show those issues. Um, you also look at Shaq Leonard, who we just brought in, and the fact that he didn't even play a single snap yesterday. I didn't see him at all on the Is that field. true? Did he not play at all? I didn't see him one bit. I know he wears number 50 now, or number 53 now, and I didn't see him at all. And it was always Zach Cunningham on the field, and then Nick Morrow, who actually played a pretty good game for how we played compared to last week. Um yeah, I believe Shaq Leonard didn't play at all. And huh. that's really concerning because they said they were going to bring him in a package of plays, which means he wasn't going to get much playing time anyway. Mm-hmm. But he didn't see a single snap on the field, Aaron. It's unbelievable. Um, I, I mean, yeah, to, to to sign a guy and, again, to not give him, I think, the, the reps that you um, brought him in to play, right? I mean, that's the whole thing with the Eagles is that they were relying – on um, guys who shouldn't be out there, like you know Christian Ellis starting at linebacker, and you know opposite of Cunningham, and getting him back healthy, you figured you would be kind of 
suited up defensively for this game. But again, Dallas goes out and and, and scores uh, 33 points, and the Cowboys with the win get to 10 and three. So the Eagles, I, I think, right now, again, it's crazy to say, as a 10 and three team. Right now, there definitely are some issues and tints that they need to um, straighten out before the start of the postseason, or they're going to have to make adjustments on the fly. Um, and uh, Nick Sirianni kind of has his work cut out for him in that in that respect uh, in some of those areas. Just the personnel, I think, um, has kind of um, brought up some, some concerns uh, for the Seagulls team when you compare them to a San Francisco or a Dallas. But... We do have another uh, game to talk about in the NFL last night, um, or the game that wrapped up last night, um, the Chiefs and the Bills in Kansas City. This is a rivalry that I think with what transpired in this game and right after the game has now gone to another level because, you know, these teams obviously had faced off in the playoffs and there had been some crazy finishes. Mahomes and Allen are two guys that are very, I think, polarizing. Um, two very, very good quarterbacks, obviously two great quarterbacks. And uh, it, it was a really good game that again came down to the wire between these two teams. It always seems like these games have some sort of just wild um, ending. And um, the Bills up 20-17 to 17 with the Chiefs driving. Um, you have... Second and 10 for Kansas City, and Mahomes drops back. They flip it to Travis Kelsey. He comes into a sea of Bills defenders, and he says, oh, wait, Kadarius Tony is right there. Let me just let me just toss it to him. Like, again, like one of those Mahomes little flip passes that he does. Just kind of flips it to Tony, laterals it, and he takes it all the way to the house for the go-ahead touchdown with a little under a minute left. It would have been... One of the great plays, I think, of Travis Kelsey's career. I think it would have been one of the great um, finishes all season. Um, but instead, it was called back because Tadarius Tony was in the neutral zone. He was offsides. He had his foot um, past the line of scrimmage where the nose of the ball was. And I, I, I think the controversy around this call, guys, is that when you are lined up as a wide receiver, you're supposed to check with the official if you're offside. And the dialogue now is that Kadarius Tony did that, um, you know, either verbally or with emotion. And Andy Reid had said the same thing. And basically the penalty was called anyway is what the Chiefs were arguing. And Andy Reid was upset about it in the post game. Um, he called it, I think, uh, disrespect or something like that. He was pretty upset about it. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, uh, was very upset. He even post game when he's hugging Josh Allen on the field, he says, that's like the wildest call I've ever seen. So the chiefs were obviously pretty, um, were pretty, uh, I would even say offended by the call. They were like, we just, we just got robbed of that game and that play. Um, what, do, what is your guys take on it? Because I've seen a lot of people, you know, on the, on the side of the official and just saying, you know, you were offside, man. I mean, what do you want it to, you know, it's a clear penalty. You can't really be upset about it. But I've also seen people on the side of the chiefs saying, you know, if, 
There was supposed to be an official telling Tony that he was offside. Why did he not call it until after the play had transpired and all this? Um, so what are your guys' takes on uh, on the game last night and, and the crazy um, call uh, at, at the end of it? Aiden? So, yeah, overall, like, this game, like, what I got to say, when these two teams face off the Bills and the Chiefs, it is you already know it's going to be a very exciting matchup. I love watching this these two teams play each other. But also for, like, Kadarius Tony, man, looking at this picture of him, like, offside, that looks far – that definitely looks far offside compared – like, looking at it, he's cl- very close to, like, one of the Bills defenders. And, of course, we were we did see the – um, of course, you mentioned the Travis Kelsey, like, pe- hitting, hitting a pass to him. And that would have been a very exciting play, but, like, like – it's wild. This this game, it, this game was intense. You had like, jo- yeah, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and then of course, Patrick Mahomes. You've we've never seen him this heated over a football game. He's he he has definitely lost some football games before in his career, but he's never been this heated. And of course, we're gonna like. You know, we're going to see, like, stuff on the internet. It's like, oh, the refs didn't bail him out this time or something like that. But, wow. And I saw it before, like, during Sunday Night Football, like, after. The Chiefs might potentially have to play a road playoff game this year. Because mm-hmm. right now they sit at 8-5. and five. The Ravens and Dolphins are ahead of them, potentially try- seeing who wants to get the one seed in the AFC. So, yeah. But... Great game last night, and love this matchup. Yeah, I, I, again, I think the Chiefs, with the loss at 8-5, and five, and you look at, um, you know, kind of the context of that division with the Broncos winning again, they're only a game out, which is crazy to say, uh, with where the Broncos were in, in the first kind of a quarter of the season. Um, yeah, the Chiefs absolutely could slip into being one of those wild card teams and you have Jacksonville at eight and five right on their tail Cleveland at eight and five right on their tail um you know Pittsburgh and Indianapolis are right in the midst and so the AFC with this kind of clawed um clawed up wild card race and all these teams closer to each other Connor now the Chiefs with this loss have fallen into that category instead of being kind of separated from the pack and you know that play again by Kelsey. Um, it wasn't a sad, It wasn't exactly a flip pass. He just kind of like flipped it sidearm to Tony, who was wide open, um, and uh, it, it was an absolutely great just improvision. But again, with that call wiped off the board, uh, that play gets wiped off the board, and um, just the reaction of the Chiefs post game, I thought was very again interesting to me because like Aiden said we had never seen Patrick Mahomes that upset um about a call and um you know Andy Reid was very uh upset as well and there's actually now a report a couple hours ago Andy Reid said that Tony uh, Tadarius Tony didn't check with the referees uh, ahead of the flag being thrown so in that regard I, I don't really know how the Chiefs could complain I mean he was pretty clearly offside right I mean I understand Losing a game like that, having that play taken away is very frustrating. But, I mean, like, like what is there to complain about? You can only kind of blame yourself for something like that. Right, Aaron. When we were talking about this play last night, um, and the words 
that he said right to Josh Allen afterwards, I feel like were very inappropriate. Um, I didn't feel like Matt Mahomes should have like when he was going to shake Josh Allen's hand, he should have went up to him and be like, "Oh, that was the worst call of all time," because that's not Josh Allen's fault. <laughs> At the end of the game, they should be you know just saying, hey, "Hey, good game," you know, just keep it simple. Not trying to draw all this publicity towards him. I, that's exactly what's happened. I was honestly pretty like taken aback by like just how Mahomes said it. Because in the video, you see them embrace, right? And then just kind of as he's like walking away, he's like, he's like, we, or what he said, he said like weakest call, or maybe I can't even say what he said. Um, he said like weakest, you know, uh, call I've ever seen. Something along the lines of that. And it's like, I agree with you. It's like, you know, you're going to do that, like, while you're, like, walking away and, you know, whatever. And Josh Allen just kind of looks at him. He's like, well, dude, like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> like, again, I don't think the Chiefs have anybody to blame but themselves if, if that is the truth. If if Tadarius Tony did not check that he was offside, he was clearly in the neutral zone. I mean, it's, it's a pretty clear as day penalty. And to go off of the fact that, you know, the Chiefs have lost three of the last four games. The defending champs are in a bit of hot water right now in terms of the standings. They're still the one seed, but yeah, with the Broncos being right on their tails, really interesting to see how this AFC West race comes to a close. Um, the Chiefs still have a pretty favorable schedule ahead of themselves with the Patriots next week, then the Raiders, then the Bengals, then the Chargers. But I mean, got to give credit to the Bengals last night with their win. Jake Browning played really well in that one. Um, but, yeah, it's really interesting to see, you know, can the Broncos um, really cause issues for the Chiefs um, later this season as they're 7-6? and six? Yeah, Andy Reid called the decision embarrassing um, in his post-game um, press conference but said on Monday today that he doesn't blame the officials for the loss and wants to maintain a healthy working relationship with them. So, like, to me, like, this sounds like, you know, they came out last night and they were just kind of, I mean, I'll, I'll just say it, they were kind of being babies. They were kind of like, you know, we lost the game. Maybe it was our fault, but we're going to blame somebody else. We're going to say, oh, that call was weak. And now the day after, after all this has kind of come out and we've seen the video of Mahomes and all this, and it's now been confirmed that Tadarius Tony did not check to see if he was offside. Now they're kind of like, well, okay, maybe it wasn't the officials' fault. Um, you know, our bad. But it's like you you already you already kind of stirred the pot. You know what I mean? Um, I think <laughs> as a Jets fan, as much as I don't like the Bills, like you have to be on their side here. It's like, what do you really again want them to do about it? I think the Chiefs are, like you said, being pretty immature, Connor. Um, and so, yeah, third straight loss for them. Um. And, uh, or, no, yeah, third loss in the last four games dropped them to eight and five. Um, their schedule going forward, they have the Patriots, Raiders, Bengals, and Chargers. So, uh, you know, that's kind of light. Um, you know, the Bengals with Jake Browning have certainly kind of found something these last two games, perhaps, um, to the point where, you know, they can be a competitive team with him. Um, but the Patriots are not very good and the Raiders, um, you know, they are, uh, falling fast as well. Their third straight loss didn't even score yesterday, three, nothing lost to Minnesota. And then, um, the chargers, uh, yesterday, 
uh, as well, getting blown out at home by Denver, who's on that hot streak. So, I mean, you know, the Chiefs, again, are, are not – I don't want to compare them to the Eagles exactly, but they're in a similar spot where, you know, they might fin- finish the regular season strong. You know, they might up, they might actually end up as, like, a 12-5 and five team, um, and they could win this division. But I think there's absolutely some issues um, with this Kansas City team. I think in the, the receiver room – at this point, is definitely not where it needs to be outside of Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice has emerged, but they're just too limited to where the Mahomes effect can just take over. I think with this current Chiefs team, they're a bit more challenged offensively. Yeah, the receiving room is not good over there, I feel. But, like, without Travis Kelsey, I don't even know what this, like, Chiefs offense would be, like, looking like. It's just, like... It's just not in a good spot because Marcus Valdez Scanling, like he had, he's made mistakes. Kadarius Tony, of course, mistakes. Rasheed Rice is pretty solid, but like he's not. Of course, he wouldn't be like a receiver one on the team. It's like it's like the Giants, for example. Like we don't like our receiving room is not isn't like not deep at all. It's like, but like the Chiefs on the other hand, like they definitely have issues. But also, they have a pretty easy schedule coming up Mm -hmm. they do have a pretty easy schedule they got the Patriots next Sunday which they got the Patriots next Sunday they got the Raiders on Christmas Bengals New Year's Eve and then the Chargers like they definitely can get can sweep or win three out of four the the game I could see them losing is the Bengals other than that there's no reason how you should not win those games Mm -hmm. even though the like that is even though like it's just the Chiefs are just—I don't even know what's up with them. Because, as as we mentioned, Mahomes um, being a cry be, like crybaby <laughs> mentality, just like like that. If you're a quarterback in the NFL, like that's not how your mindset should be either. Like, I feel like like imagine if if this was like any like most other quarterbacks, they'd be get like I feel like we'd be seeing more. I mean, I know he's getting flamed, but they'd be getting flamed even more. I mean, you had that because the NFL will probably not do much about it because it's Mahomes, just like Tom, just like they did with Tom Brady. Like you know, you're going to complain about oh, uh, you know, this call made us lose. The call was weak. I mean, you think back to the Super Bowl, right? And you know that holding call against Bradbury um, that really kind of propelled the Chiefs to win the game um, in the big, you know, on the biggest stage. And Mahomes has been helped out by some calls before and. I, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's kind of just a crybaby mentality for him to have. And and I think as a guy who is really, really talented, super talented, maybe the most talented guy to play the position, I think you have to hold yourself to a higher emotional standard. You can't get, you can't get frustrated when, you know, uh, it's a clear penalty. Exactly. And, of course, you got to, like, you got to move forward from this and then finish off the rest of the season. And, of course, as you were mentioning, like, the wide receiver room, like, I was like thinking in my head with like whatever I was thinking like from my head like a little bi- a little bias I'm, I was like thinking like if whoever the wide receiver one on the Giants would be if he would be like the wide receiver one on the Chiefs like if I'd like compare that because like both wide receiver r- rooms are like not like too good at all mm-hmm. I feel because they don't they're not like uh, deeply I mean, like talented in depth but like outside of Kelsey and Rice I mean, yeah. they, they combined for 20 targets Rice last is, night. Yeah, and, Rice is pretty good, though. It, mm-hmm. And then, of course, Isaiah, I think Isaiah Pacheco was out last night for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Edwards, they had, uh, yeah, Pacheco C- was out. CEH, 
Clyde well, Edwards and Lair. And then and, Jarek uh, McKinnon had a Jet touchdown. McKinnon, yep. So, yeah, I mean, you know, weapons-wise for the Chiefs, um, we'll see uh, – We'll see what they can do with this group. But, uh, again, certainly some concerns for them as they lose in a controversial fashion last night to the Buffalo Bills, 20-17. to 17. All right, we're going to take a quick step off here on offsides. But when we return, we're going to uh, head to the diamond as the stove is officially hot. We're going to talk about the big signing uh, in Major League Baseball from last week. This is Offsides here on RowanRadio.com, Channel 2. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Coverage of Prof Sports on Rowan Radio is made possible in part by the Brown and Gold Gridiron Club. The Gridiron Club is composed of former participants and supporters of the RUGSC football program, whose goal is to bridge Rowan's athletes' past, present, and future. If you would like to support the club, participate in gridiron events, or would like more information, the email address is gridironclub at rowan.edu. The Brown and Gold Gridiron Club is proud to support Prof Sports on Rowan Radio. RowanRadio.com, Channel 2, Rowan Radio 89.7, WGLS-FM. This is Offsides Live here on this Monday evening, 5.35 p.m., December the 11th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Aaron Hook, Aiden Ray, Connor McAndrew with you here in the WGLS studios. And, um... Guys, uh, I'm sure, I'm almost certain that we um, saw the news on Friday that uh, or Saturday that um, a certain somebody made a decision. Um, we're talking about Major League Baseball free agency, um, and um, that certain someone is Mr. Shohei Otani and. I Aiden, I wasn't. I, I I can't remember if we talked about where you thought he was going to go, but I know that me and Connor uh, believed he was going to end up a Dodger. Did you think the same at the start of the winter meetings? Yeah, to be honest, I feel like he was. I felt like he was either going to be a Dodger, or I lo- and I low key felt like, or low key felt like he was going to be like a Chicago Cub as well because I saw stuff with the Cubs. But to be honest, like there was like not many places. I feel like. He'd go deeply compared to like the Dodgers because he's still on the West Coast, still in like the Los Angeles um, metro area because he was in Anaheim last year and he doesn't have to move far at all. And plus, Japan compared to going to the East Coast instead of the West Coast, Japan's not that far from being from being on the West Coast. So Otani made like that decision, and of course, but. The only thing I'm sure, like Angels fans, are not going to be like happy at all, because like, of course, that's their bi- that's their biggest rival, the Dodgers. But still, like the Angels organization. But 
Angels organization failed him. The Dodgers, though, I still cannot believe that the contract is $700 million. We have never seen that before. $70 million a year. And then also, like, I saw stuff with, like, California tax, like, how much you'll end up bringing home. So, like, it's wild. Yeah, it's just unbelievable money. I mean, we were expecting a record deal. I think north of $600 million was kind of the area. I don't think many people were talking about $700 um, as the as the figure for Otani, Connor. I mean, just wild, wild stuff. Um, but Shohei Otani is going to get that money one way or another because it's fully guaranteed. There's no opt-outs in this deal. It's 10 years. He's locked in. $700 million he's going to get, although he will not pitch this upcoming season in 2024, the Dodgers are obviously hoping, paying him this amount of money, that he will return to an all-star level pitcher form uh, in 2025 and beyond. So, this, uh, you know, what 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 does this do for for baseball now? Currently, landscape of the league, landscape of future deals. I mean, this is a record-setting. Um, lead changing. I know that's kind of like a joke at this point, but like it is a legitimate like needle mover in so many areas um, with with this contract. Absolutely, Aaron. We're talking about um, where these big contracts started with. Um, I the most recent one I can name was Bryce Harper getting three hundred million for thirteen years, and everyone was saw was like, "Whoa, like that's that's absurd for a player like that." Um, but then you started to see that money keep trickling up and up with Lindor signing, um, Freddie Freeman. I mean, all these other guys were getting paid more and more. Um, you got Soto as well. Um, now you have now you have Otani shattering everyone's contract, and this is like, okay, now who's who's gonna be the next best player to receive a contract that substantial amount? And now you're also looking at Otani's 29 he's going to be on this team for 10 more years they're expecting him to be he'll be 39 at the end of his contract but the fact that he's not going to be able to pitch at all this season and they're paying him 700 million dollars they're really invested in in on him to be able to pitch once again after the 2024 season and you know again when you look at all the teams that were in on Otani obviously um some of the finalists that were named, you know, the Giants um, out there on on the West Coast, the Cubs, like Aiden talked about. The Blue Jays made a pretty strong run at him um, from from the sounds of it. And then, of course, the Angels uh, with kind of that desperation attempt to keep him uh, in-house. He stays in the city, um, but uh, instead of playing in Anaheim, he'll be playing over at uh, Chavez Ravine for the next 10 years. And for the Angels, I mean – you know, well, first, here, let's talk about the Dodgers. I mean, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Shohei Otani. It's pretty good. Um, the Dodgers, obviously, last year, you know, with kind of a, a, a classic Dodger, maybe, maybe not collapse, but, I mean, you win 100 games in the regular season and you get swept. Um, definitely kind of a disappointment, um, that has been, you know, outside of the world series year in 2020, it's been kind of the story of these Dodgers. It's that they're a great regular season team. Maybe of the last decade, the Dodgers are probably the best regular season team in, in, in 
the majors. Seems like they're a lock for almost a hundred wins every season. And, you know, to add a guy like this is just such a power move. I think, uh, to keep him in the city again, keep him tied down to some of the culture out there in LA and to bring him in where he's really kind of in his prime at 29 years old. Aiden, does this just catapult the Dodgers to world series favorites? Like everyone is kind of saying, I mean, real stuff. They'll always be like in that world series favorite category, but like they got to again, show that they can like get out of like the NLDS and NLCS. Like, because like the past two years, they lost in the NLDS to the Padres and the Diamondbacks. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman like went like like five for th- I don't even know like five for thirty or whatever mm-hmm. I don't know but like I'm so but honestly like this is a world this definitely is a World Series team like you have like you have the pieces you you have the pieces you just need to show they can do what you do in the regular season every year in the postseason because they are a phenomenal regular season team the Dodgers but once it comes to the postseason. Except, except the COVID year, no. But again, I know they can do it. They just all gotta stay. They just all gotta stay healthy, and they gotta get hot at the right time. They need to. Yeah, I mean, when you have a guy like Freddie Freeman, um, who again was right there for the NL MVP, um, and a guy like Mookie Betts who's gonna be a perennial MVP finalist. And you have a bunch of these other pieces. And I, I think the good thing with the Dodgers as well is that, Connor, you know, Shohei isn't just forced to pitch this year or try to make a, a, a comeback prematurely because the Dodgers have arms that they can rely on, both as starters and out of the bullpen. Um, I think their staff is strong enough to where they aren't going to need Shohei Otani to make 30 starts for them this year. He can take that year off from pitching, recover uh, with that elbow, and um, kind of figure out, um, you know, where he fits in as a pitcher as well in the organization. Um, now the Dodgers, obviously, um, you know, I think did they just so they just did they just resign? No, they haven't resigned Kershaw. So Kershaw is obviously. Um, you know, out on the market, and we'll see if they bring him back. But, again, outside of him, I, I think they have arms there. And so the Dodgers, to me, have been the perfect landing spot. But the Angels, um, a catastrophic loss, obviously, for them. Seeing Shohei walk out the door to the team across town. Uh, I mean, where do the Angels even go from here? Is there much place they can go with Mike Trout still on that roster? Um but, I mean, to lose a generational guy like Shohei is just um, – it sets you back for sure. It absolutely sets you back. No matter where the Angels would have been with him still there, the surrounding cast um, and whatnot, I, just losing a guy like this instantly kind of puts you in a spot where you have to make a decision fast. Are you going to let this thing kind of rot or are you going to start fresh and, and try and build it from the ground up? The issue is um, Trout's age. He's over 30, and the fact that they're saying they're not going to trade him is an awful move by the manager because they're ruining Trout's prime, and Trout has also been really unhealthy every single year this of his career in the last five years, and he really hasn't found his form since 2019. 
And the fact that they aren't willing to trade him still when their team is like has fallen off entirely when I mean you remember last year when they gave up at least like seven of the players under the waivers. They got rid of like all their like top guys that yep. they had that were hitting well and they all just got sent to uh you know Hunter Renfro, Renner Gretchik, all you know sent to different teams because they were just throwing their team up as like a fire sale almost. And I just don't understand why what the Angels are really doing, and I don't think anyone else does, Aaron. Yeah, it, I mean, the decisions that they've made personnel-wise these last few years have certainly been kind of interesting, and the whole Mike Trout situation has definitely raised some eyebrows. And, again, uh, to, to lose a guy like Otani is just such a monumental um, – just as, it, it's just a, such a step backwards, I think. When you when they originally signed him, the goal was obviously to have him as part of a World Series winning team, right? Obviously, that would be the goal for any team going after him. But to pay that type of money originally for that type of player, you were seeing that. And as he continued to kind of show what he to do in the majors, you were saying, okay, this is the best player in baseball. The Angels... Absolutely now, again, no matter what the surrounding cast was, with this guy on the team, this is it. This is the championship window. And however long they can keep him around for, it will be there. They need to make a, they need to make moves. But with a guy like Shohei Otani on your roster, you have a World Series window no matter what. And the Angels just could never even really get close to that. I mean, they never made the postseason with him. Uh, Mike Trout has only played in one postseason series in his career. They are, yeah, the epitome of just wasting two of some of the best players that we've seen ever just wasting their prime um, and wasting their talent, wasting the opportunity to pair those guys up. And obviously you said Mike Trout's health has been an issue. Um, but at the same time, you know, when he is out there, uh, they're not winning anyway. So, yeah, the Angels, just uh, a pretty complete disaster from top to bottom, losing Shohei Otani to the crosstown rival Dodgers, seven hundred million. I mean, it's again just a figure that it's tough to wrap your head around. I think it won't be long before maybe another two-way guy comes along in the next twenty years or so, and maybe he is almost as good as Shohei. And at that point with the market inflating as it is, and just the contracts getting bigger and bigger and bigger, we could see like a billion dollar contract in baseball. I think it's possible. Baseball has always been given out the largest. I mean, it's the largest contract in North American sports history. It's just unbelievable money that the Dodgers have shelled out for Shohei Otani. But the crazier part is guys, I think everyone kind of agrees that he's worth it, um, which is just kind of, a testament to the type of player that he is caliber player that he is. So that was the big news, obviously on a Saturday with Shohei kind of all that suspense. And he made his decision pretty fast, right? He made it within a week of the winter meeting starting. Yeah. He didn't drag it out until January or February. Like, you know, Harper and Machado did remember that um, when they signed, he was like, no, I'm here in Nashville. Let's just get it done. Like, like let's just, Let's just get me to where I need to be, and I I, I can have the off season, right? And uh, I think that was a good move as well on his part. So, all right, we also had it was a very actually very busy sports weekend. 
Um, the in-season tournament in the NBA wrapped up on Saturday night. And your 2023 in-season tournament champions, the Los Angeles Lakers. Wow. Who would have thought? Um, definitely in the script. No, I'm kidding. Just the Lakers do beat the Pacers 123-109. Monster game from Anthony Davis. Um, but I think, you know, before we dive into this game, uh, you know, individually, I think, guys, after the first in-season tournament is wrapped up, I think we can say it was a, a success. I really do think they hit it pretty big with this. I think it'll continue to grow just like we've seen the play-in continue to expand and the play-in continue to kind of morph and all this stuff. And I think that is its own thing that the NBA is going to look into perhaps – um, continuing to develop as well. But I, I think this in-season tournament, Aiden, is a real winner for, for the NBA. Yes, it is, of course. And, of course, like, great being able to market it, come up with this plan during the summertime, during the NBA off season, And, of course, they were testing it out. And, of course, group stage games went well. Then they did the um, games last Tuesday, which the group, the quarterfinal games went well as well. Monday and Tuesday, by the way. but um, And then, of course, Thursday, semifinals and the final on Saturday, putting them, bo- putting them in Las Vegas, making it neutral for the team. So, of course, because the Pacers and the Lakers were both 6-0 and in the in-season tournament, 4-0 in their group, and then they both won their games, um, Pacers beating the Celtics and the Bucks, and then the Lakers beating the the Suns and the Pelicans. So, and then the Lakers were able, just able to get the job done. But so, and overall, what I gotta say, great job by the NBA being able to like put some meaning, put some meaningful games in December, November. Just giving them a different product, just giving a different product and testing it out. Which great job, NBA. Yeah, I mean, again, I think a lot of the conversation about the regular season in the NBA was that, you know, some of these games are kind of, you know, not meaningless, but definitely aren't, you know, it's hard to get fans invested about a regular season game in early December, right? When, you know, over the course of an NBA season, so many things change that a team in December could look completely different in March, right? So it's like... I think the inclusion of this in-season tournament, the way they handled it, the way they, like Dan said, picked Vegas to be the site for the kind of Final Four, and they got the bid market team in it like they wanted. I mean, you know, you had um, the Lakers um, as well um, as uh, the Bucks and New Orleans in the uh, Final Four. I mean, again, you had Indiana, Milwaukee, New Orleans, not three huge market teams, but... You know, the Bucks have been at the top of the Eastern Conference, so you get a superstar in Giannis there. But um, Lakers end up winning it. But for the Pacers, I, I think they were kind of a good example as well for the in-season tournament, and especially Tyrese Halliburton, about a player and a team that is ascending, but I think has really kind of garnered a lot more traction because of the in-season tournament, because of the publicity um, of it. And, you know, if Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers had kind of gone on a little run and he had been doing great, I think, you know, diehard NBA fans would certainly notice, but to the 
more casual fans who have now really taken notice of what they're doing and what Tyrese Halliburton has become, um, I don't think it would have been as evident. So I think it's a great ploy as well for the NBA to market their upcoming stars and you know maybe some guys um, who are reaching that star potential. Right, Aaron. You're talking about when Tyrese Halliburton, like when he came into the scene for the Kings, he was a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, we liked him. We liked him a lot. You know, for anyone who was watching the NBA, um, when he got traded to Indiana, you didn't really think that was a destination for like succeeding or anything. When they gave up Devonis Sabonis, who was an All Star at the time, and now you're looking at the Pacers as like an actual threat because if Halliburton is on, the Pacers just find a way to win. And that's what they did against the Celtics, who I think many people were picking the Celtics to win that game because when they played last time, Halliburton didn't play and they won by 50. So they were expecting if he did play, they'd probably still win by you know 10 or 15. But the Pacers are a different team. And what's nice about Tyrese Halliburton is he isn't a traditional point guard. He's willing to dish the ball out to any, to any player besides himself and he just hits big shots at big moments you saw that shot against the Blazers in the semifinals and now you're looking at the Pacers being like a threat for the NBA playoffs to come in the future if they can keep this up yeah I mean again I think the in-season tournament as a whole has just done so much for the lead and again kind of marketing a lot of these guys on a bigger stage. Um, I think, again, there may be some tweets to the group play and how many teams are in the tournament. You know, maybe they'll expand it, whatever. But I think right now the format, we all tend to agree, is pretty good. Um, And we ended up with, I think, the champion that a lot of people obviously wanted and the NBA most likely wanted as the Lakers do win it, 123-109 over the Pacers on Saturday night. Um Anthony Davis, 41 points, 20 boards, um, and a beast defensively as well with four blocks. I mean, AD, you know, he gets you know uh, kind of a bad rap a lot of the time on NBA Twitter and stuff. But uh, Anthony Davis, man, when he's on, I mean, again, we saw this with their title winning year with, with the Lakers. Um, when AD is on, he can, and especially with, you know, LeBron, I think slowly starting to decline. I think LeBron is still a really, really good player. Hasn't exactly, I would say, lost a step, but um, I I think he's not at that dominant, dominant scoring peak that even he was a couple of years ago. Um, Anthony Davis can be a true number one for this Lakers team when he is on and playing, you know, committed on both ends of the floor. So I, I think... In that regard, you saw it where if in big games you need AD to step up, he can certainly do that. It's all about the the, the consistency with him and obviously staying healthy. Right, Aaron. Um, Anthony Davis in the last couple of games, he really started to take fire, especially taking advantage of this championship game because LeBron still having 24-11 and 11 in the game, which is still really good for him be, despite his age. Um but the Lakers are in a direction that they need to find themselves a score. And they paid all this money for Anthony Davis, uh, I believe in 2019. And he's on this, I think he's one or two more years left on his contract. And the fact that Davis was able to perform really well in this game and 
take advantage of the size between him and Miles Turner um, is a huge step for the Lakers and how they go for the rest of the season because outside of Anthony Davis and LeBron James, your next best scorer is D'Angelo Russell. And he only had 13 points in that game. But I don't think D'Angelo Russell is really all that of a point guard. So there's definitely some issues with this team. It's good to see that Austin Reeves is now sit being on the bench because that gives uh, the Lakers bench depth. And he's a great scorer when he finds uh, his own. Yeah, 28 points for Austin Reeves off the bench in this game. Um, you know, the Lakers win the in-season tournament title, Aiden, and it's nice. And again, maybe a tweet down the road to the in-season tournament will be, does this end up meeting more at some point um, for the actual rest of the regular season and the actual NBA postseason? But in terms of that, Lakers have now won three straight, 14-9, and nine, fifth in the West. Is this a team that can make a true run after getting to the conference finals last year? And to be honest, it's still early in the season, so anything can definitely happen. So, as we see here right now, the Lakers sit at fourteen and nine. They've won their last three games. So, at right now, they they have a three game stretch against the Mavericks, the Spurs, and the Spurs again. So, um, their next three games, they definitely have a chance. But like, I feel like. They definitely can be, of course, because last year they were able to go into Memphis and beat the Grizzlies in six. They were able to beat the Warriors. But, I, yeah, you can definitely see something from them because, like, they're, show, they're showing what they can do at, like, right times, of course. Um, oh, yeah, and a little update I saw. Um, their next home game, December 18th, they are going to raft um, honor their NBA Cup. <laughs> of course. Lakers got to hang the banner, right? I thought they said they weren't going to. I just, I just saw it that they are. Liars. Hold on a second. You knew Lamitti had to throw it out there. Where's that report? Hold on. I. Yeah. So what do they? So the Lakers have six team. No, seventeen titles. Seven. Yeah, they have seventeen NBA Finals. Right. Right. Because twenty twenty was 17 and so now they i guess they have more banners than the celtics right i just now they can say that right because the celtics don't have an in-season 20 wait are they are they are they counting in-season tournaments as rings no, now no, no, no. i mean yeah, i would ho- yeah, i would really hope not i would hope i, not. Ho- I hope not because like, <laughs> lebron fans are going up be like oh one more from jordan they're saying lebron has four and a half rings and they're all saying like and they're all saying how many nba cups does mj did mj have <laughs> He didn't need it. Uh, no, but, um, still, um, no, nah, but th- it, again, still a great test. But yeah, the Lakers definitely can do it, as you mentioned, as Cotter mentioned with Austin Reeves, and of course, you mentioning with Anthony Davis. Without even without LeBron, sometimes they can still definitely do it because they have they have the the pieces on paper. LeBron, they have Cam Reddish, D'Lo, Davis, and of course, as I mentioned, Reeves. So like. Yeah, they can definitely they can definitely do it and be it. Compete. They still can compete in the West again, obviously. Another guy who's been playing really well for them, uh, Cam Reddish, um, three blocks the other former night. Former Nick, right? Yeah, he's been all the well, he's been all over the place defensively, um, and uh, shooting the ball pretty well uh, as well. So yeah, shout out shout out Cam Reddish. Um, but I think that's all the time we have here on Offsides. I want to thank Connor McAndrew and Aiden Ray for stopping by. 
Lots of cover today, guys. Um, some big games in the NFL yesterday. The Shohei signing last week. Um, and then, obviously, the in-season tournament wrapping up. So, we've taken care of a lot of the big stuff as we roll on um, here into the midst of December. But, again, thank you all for tuning in here on Offside. You can listen to Offsides Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 5 to 6 p.m. here on RowanRadio.com, Channel 2. All right, everybody, have a great rest of your Monday. You've been listening to Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. Tune in next Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. for another edition of Offsides, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.